0: Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upwards. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
1: It's that time of year again isn't it when uh, folk in Dagenham go up uh, into that part of their house they never usually visit. Um, the attic, and they, they search around to the far corners, probably pick up a few several hundred other things to find the Christmas lights. At one time of year where you get out your Christmas lights, you crack them out, and they 're great, aren 't they for filling the gloom inside the house and for spreading cheer to the dark streets around? And um, that 's what we do, isn 't it? We, we don 't just put them in our houses, but we put them in the windows. Um, so that other people might enjoy them too. I don't think that's showing off. I think that's just you know wanting to cheer people up. Maybe that's what you spent most of this week um, or some of this week doing in your house. And um, we did. And my guess is you've positioned some of those lights near a window so that it can be seen from the street, so that other people could see. And that a place which would otherwise be pitch black, dark, uninviting, cold, dangerous, even. It's transformed, isn't it? By even the smallest of LEDs. Just put like a single tiny little LED and it's transformed. Suddenly it's warm and inviting. And that's a wonderful picture of what we're going to be looking at tonight. That's how we deal with um, sort of real darkness or if you want to call it that. Um, Asda or Lidl uh, will sort you out for that and it will cost you less than a tenner. (laughs) Maybe even less than a fiver, I don't know. Um... But what about spiritual darkness? What do we need for that? What do we need for spiritual darkness? Uh, spiritual darkness is one. Uh, darkness and light is one of the big metaphors the Bible uses for life with God, light, and life without God, darkness. So, what do we need to tra- take us from spiritual darkness into spiritual light? Who do we need? Um. Uh, There's this other verse in the Bible that says that the people in Ephesians were without God and without hope in the world. And we heard a little bit of flavour of that, didn't we, in in the the, the first half of our reading, uh, the bit in chapter 8. But there is a massive turning point, isn't there? Does anyone sense that as we were reading it? Um, Have a look down with me at verse 21 to 22. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry they will be enraged. And will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And turn their faces upwards. And they will look to the earth. But behold distress and darkness. The gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Verse 1 of chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. And then from that moment on. You hear this wonderful list of what they will see. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them a light has shone. There's this massive turning point. And then. If you're not a Christian here today, I'd love you to go away with the thought that Christmas is the biggest turnaround. The biggest turnaround. And I'm not just talking about Japan coming back from uh, 1-0 down against Spain, who could probably choke them to death with their passing strategy, talking about the World Cup. You know, they came back to win 2-1. I'm not just talking about that kind of turnaround. I'm talking about a wonderful turnaround of God turning our darkness, spiritual darkness into light our sorrow into joy rejoicing we just heard about um our war our kind of fighting with one another and fighting with god as you just heard in those verses to peace these are the wonderful contrasts that you get in this passage but how is it possible well my prayer is that you leave here having heard of the only one who you need the only one who can do this and he is a great light and his name is jesus and um, so uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, we're going to look at a uh, people in darkness in uh, 8 verse 5 to 8. And uh, we're going to look at the last, those last two verses again, just to see what the people uh, were, were doing and what they thought of God and uh, what that led to. You look down with me at 8 uh, verses 5 to 8. Just over the page. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Romalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. They've, they've refused something, the waters of Shiloah. Don't worry about that. That's just in the Old Testament, the place that God gave them in the land where they could meet with him. And that was a sweet place beautiful place that they could meet with him. And they'd sort of like shunned that and they'd gone somewhere else. They'd gone to these other two kings uh, res- uh, and they'd, uh, they'd tried to get Assyria on their side, as we heard last week. Um, they thought that's what they needed instead of God. So they have replaced God. Today, that might be replacing God uh, in terms of what you think you need most, you know, your... your what you want in life, your career, your aspirations, your dreams. They'd replace God where he should be and put something else in place. And they, God himself says that there is a problem with that. He tells them what that problem is, and that actually the thing that they put in, in his place will destroy them. The king of Assyria is not just going to take out their enemies, the ones that are hoping that they would fight, the king of Assyria is also going to come against them. That's why it says and and it will rise over and the water of the river mighty and many the king of Assyria in all his glory and it will rise over its channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah. Picture language. But the army is not going to stop at um, these other places. It's going to flood the banks and come over to Judah which is where they are. So they've refused God. they it put something else in place. And if you look down with me at verses 19 to 20 as well, just over the page, um, I'll read from verse 19. And when they say to you, this is the people saying, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. This is what Isaiah says. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. So the, the one of the ways that they replace God in their lives is that they don't even want to hear from God anymore. They don't go to him for for what he's saying. They go elsewhere. Well, one of the places they went to, interestingly enough, is to the spirits of the dead. This is striking, isn't it? Really? The place where you're more likely to find God, God's people, the people of Israel, in this day, in Isaiah's day, is that they're going to be seeking the there's the dead spirits to tell them what they need to hear, rather than the living God. So they've done these two things. They'd said, we want something else other than God. That's what we think we most need. And what it looked like is going again, just not wanting to hear from him, not hearing his word, and instead looking elsewhere. But you look, and, and, and if you look down with me at verse 22, or verse 21 as well, <laughs> where do they look? They look um, upwards uh, turn their faces upwards and um, when they're angry towards God and they look downwards at the earth in verse 22 but what do they find with all of their searching well the list is there they find distress they're more stressed more in at pain and suffering they're in darkness They're in the gloom of anguish. They're in more despair and more hopelessness. Because they can't find any meaning. And we're going to see that this is not just a picture of the people then. It's a picture of people without God now. Life without God now. Because life without God has no meaning. We'll search for it in other things, but we won't find it. And it will just bring pain and suffering and distress. Stress in our relationships with one another... Um, the sort of anger that they had um, towards their God and their King. And they'll look elsewhere. They've looked everywhere else, but they haven't found it. And perhaps maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. I know it was me. I looked everywhere else for meaning, purpose, and I didn't find it. And God's wonderfully calling them back graciously. He is gracious and merciful, isn't he? Because he's lovingly saying to them, this is what you need. He's telling them what the problem is. You're looking in the wrong place. What you need is me. Um, Just uh, uh, then as we go on to the next bit. um, So the people in darkness will see a great light. And that's in verses one to two. But we'll look mainly at verse 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the nations. Don't worry about those places just yet. It will all become clear. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness... On them a light has shone. So if the first bit were true of people in darkness, and that's all the Bible told us, it would be a pretty dark message, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would just tell us that we're in spiritual darkness, we've replaced God, we've shunned what he says, we looked in the wrong places, and there's only distress, darkness, gloom of anguish. And in one in the last bit of that, they will be thrust into thick darkness. I think that's a reference to hell. That would be it. That would be stark, wouldn't it? That would be like the blackest message you could ever hear, ever. And yet we have verse chapter 9 and we have verses 1 to 2. And in verse 2 it says that the people who were in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. God surprises us with his mercy and grace. Grace means that he gives us what we don't deserve. And mercy means that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Grace means he gives us what we don't deserve. And mercy means that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Where he could give us that, he could give us what we've asked for. A life without him. The meaningless, the emptiness of life without him forever. Forever. He could give us that. And he's under no obligation to do anything more than that. But he gives us his great light. He sends his great light into the world so that we may know him and so that we would be able to be with him. So um, you see that it's happening in this place, um, this northern, these two northern places in Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali. And then it says, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. I just want you to hold on to that thought, because the location is important. <laughs> it's obviously unfamiliar names to us, right? Um, it's, not, it's not in Dagenham, okay? You won't find these kind of places just down the road. But the names are important, because they tell us exactly where we're to expect this light to appear. Where it's first going to appear. But it is a wonderful turnaround. As you look down that list, um, there's light instead of darkness, as we've just seen in verse 2. I think that's a, a spiritual light. It's knowing God and the knowledge of him, being able to know him. Because if spiritual darkness was not knowing him, being without him, then I think that's what that means. Um, in verse uh, 3, and um, there's this joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. That, that's, that's pretty joyful. You know, that's payday. You know, how happy are you on payday? I get a couple of nods. A couple of hallelujahs. Yes. Yeah, amen. Um, that's joy. You know, that's the joy that's being described here. And you remember, it was just sorrow and anguish before that. And now it's joy. It's t- God's, God's turning things around. And then um, if you look down with me, um, he'll bring an end to their oppression. In verse 4, the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken. And then in verse 5, he brings it. None of the, the things needed, that were needed for war will be needed anymore. They'll be burnt up in the fire. So he puts an end to all hostility. Hostility with one another, hostility with him. None of those things will be needed anymore. And how does he do it? Verse 6, we're just saying about it. For To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And we're just going to spend the rest of our time thinking about this, because this, this is how God is going to do that turnaround. He's going to do it through a child, a son, who is going to reign forever. He's going to rule forever. If you look down, it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Of the throne of David and over his kingdom he will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The the Lord of hosts will do this. So it's going to be through a baby. Through a boy. That's what we get here in chapter 9. Hundreds and hundreds of years before the New Testament. And what... That child is going to do, that boy, that son, he's going to rule forever. He's going to be the, the king forever, the one to rule. We've just had, haven't we, the queen uh, die this year. Massive changing of, you know, for most of us, that's all we ever knew. <laughs> Even the old ones, that's all we ever knew is that, that monarch, her, our noble queen. And, and such that now we need to sing a God Save Our King. That's just, that's just weird got to take a bit of getting used to isn't it but this king this child this boy this son will rule forever his his rule will only increase and extend and endure <laughs> and that's the first thing we're told about this this king this this boy this child but we are told a few other things and we're told what he he should be called in verse six and it, it describes uh, someone who is kind, both kind and powerful. We were thinking about this on Friday with the youth. Um, if you had a ruler who was just kind and not very powerful, you think, oh, it's lovely that they, they want the best for me. But that doesn't affect things. That doesn't help me at all. Because they're powerless to actually do anything about them. And this describes, uh, one... The boy, the child, who is both kind and powerful. He is a wonderful counsellor. He is a wonderful counsellor. He cares. He will look after you. He knows what's best for you. All of the things you don't know what to do. You don't know how to, you know, what you, what you should do in the situation. He's going to, he has the answer for you. But he's also mighty God. He has the power to do something about it. He's a father figure. He will care for you. And that's also another description of the king and the one whom God is going to use to care for his people. And then the prince of peace. His rule, because it's justice, righteousness, is just going to bring peace because people will know how to resolve their differences. They'll just go to him. So there's all these different characteristics of this one, this child, this son, this boy to be born. And I just want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, and it is quite a little bit further on. It's page 809. I'm just going to read from verse 12. Now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen the great lights. And for those dwelling in the region, and the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew leaves us us in in no doubt as to what he's saying here. The child, the son, the one that we needed to do this big turnaround, the king who was going to rule forever, be kind and powerful, Is Jesus. The the northern tribes, Natalie, Zebulun, are in the land of Galilee. And that's where Jesus sets up shop. That's where he decides to live. Of all the places, he goes there. And so they didn't just see the light. They did. But they got to spend time seeing the light. They saw him again and again and again. They heard him speak. They heard him preach. They saw him do amazing things. And they heard what he said about needing to go to the cross, needing to die for them, so that they could be right with God. And that is light. That's the light that God shines into spiritual darkness. He shines it in the place to the people who should have first received his judgment. And yet he shines his great light so that they may see who God is in the person of Jesus, in the face of Jesus. Jesus would bring the light of the knowledge of God. He'd shine it into their hearts. He would both make the Father, his Father, known, and He would himself be the way to the Father through dying on the cross for their sins. Elsewhere, Jesus is described as, uh, on a boat, um, looking at the crowds and seeing that they're helpless and harassed, and having gut wrench and compassion for them. He is He is kind, He cares for them. He wants the best for them. He knows what they need. But he's also powerful, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> he said to the, the storm, be still. And it was still. He said to the, to, the, to the evil spirits who are in the man, be quiet. And they were quiet. That's authority. So we have a king who will rule forever, a boy, a child, who has both kindness, compassion and authority, power. Jesus. The light has shone. God has brought his light into the world. We're just going to spend a few minutes just thinking about what our response might be to that. Perhaps um, you've been around church a while. And you've heard these things before. And it is just worth seeing that the people in darkness in Isaiah's day... Were those who had the Bible. They knew what it said. They could probably tell you what it said. And maybe there, there was this whole bunch of complacency wrapped up in that. Because I understand what the Bible says, and I think I know what it means. Because I've been brought up with with believing parents. I've got what I need. Mm And if their hearts are unchanged, their heads can be really busy, but their hearts can be cold towards this God, the God who saves. And God sent Jesus to be the light, not just to those who've made a mess of it all and who are obviously going the wrong way, but also to those who think they're good or that they can be good enough. They need Jesus just as much. Um, If you're a Christian here today, um, I'm just going to share with you uh, a short section from John. Um, You don't have to turn to it. It's John chapter 8. Verse 14, Jesus says, It's not the same verse 14 I've got.
0: Okay,
1: I think we're Matthew. Sorry, wrong part of the Bible. Yeah, 5 verse 14. Sorry about that. Matthew 5 verse 14. Jesus says this. If you're a Christian here today, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He says this, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father, who is in heaven. Jesus' promise here to those who are Christians, who are believers, is that both he is the light, and that they are now light his lights, to the dark world around them. My encouragement to you from this passage today is to pray, if you're a Christian. Why not pray that God would put you into people's lives, such that you feel some of the darkness of life without him? We can live comfortable lives, can't we? We can think, I'm just going to live my own life and not mind my, my, my own business and not get involved with other people. But that would be like putting your light under the bulb. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Just as he is the light of the world, you are now his light in the world. And I, I, I just want to raise this, because um, this time of year, we've all talked about it, haven't we? You know, it would be so easy, we'd have so many excuses to just live uh, you know, in our homes where it's nice and warm and not really involve ourselves in the life of other people around us and I think I'd encourage you and encourage myself to pray about the apathy that we feel towards other people if you are a Christian why don't you talk to God about that (laughs) it's not right is it I feel this way that I've got all this self comfort and apathy towards others And I've got all these excuses. Pray about that. Because Jesus says that people living in spiritual darkness need his light. And that means that the people who are right next to you on your street, people who are in your family, people who are in your workplace, they are in a spiritual darkness. They don't know Jesus. And you do. You have a wonderful counsellor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we get the wonderful opportunity to just share that with people. It couldn't really be easier for us, in many ways. You think about it, we live in England. No one's going to arrest us. No one's going to shoot at us. And people are there. And we get to share, and it's Christmas time as well. That's the other thing. We get to share about Jesus. And yet, if you're anything like me, there's... I don't do that. Maybe I think I'm too worried about what they're going to think of me. But we have received light. The light has shone into our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. He has shone the light of the knowledge of God through the face of Christ into our hearts. So that we may be light. So we may share Jesus. And all the more at Christmas time. That would be a wonderful thing to pray for yourself for these coming weeks. Thank Jesus that he is the light. Thank Jesus that you are the light of the world. That's what he says about you. And ask for him to help you to do that. Or to give you the desire to share Jesus with others. He's who they really need. I said at the start that um, if you're not a Christian and you're looking into this, my prayer would be that you would meet or hear of the one who can bring light to your spiritual darkness. The thing about being living in spiritual darkness is that you won't know you're living in darkness. One of the very nature, the very nature of living in spiritual darkness is that you won't know it. But maybe something that's been shared this evening, maybe some of the despair, the hopelessness, looking elsewhere. Maybe maybe something of the broken relationships, the the anger and unforgiveness that you, you notice in your relationships with other people. Maybe some of that darkness, God has just been putting his finger on. Just been showing you a bit of it. And he's doing that out of love, out of mercy, out of grace, so that you might know the one who is light. That you may come to his son, the king, the one you desperately need. Spiritual darkness has been flooded with God's light in Jesus. The sorrow and anguish of a world without him has been transformed by Jesus. Peace and joy, as in Jesus, we come to know the one who made and loved us with more love than we could ever know. We get peace with God, peace in our relationships with one another, rather than hurt and unforgiveness, rather than bitterness. We have something to rejoice about. And I just want to leave you with that verse. If you're not a Christian here today, uh, the verse from 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. You don't have to turn to to it, but why don't you turn this verse into a prayer. It says this, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It would be a great thing to take that and turn it into a prayer. Ask God, God, would you, you made light shine out of darkness when you created the world. Would you shine your light, the knowledge of your glory into my heart. Would you show me who Jesus is. And you know what, it might be a bit scary but he'll answer that prayer and it's a humbling thing to ask isn't it when we need help the first thing we need to do is humble ourselves so that we may ask the one who can give us help
0: and a prayer is just that kind of thing and let's let's pray together now